I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. For this episode, I sat down with the great Jean-Pierre Bonfou. We discussed his extraordinary and multifaceted life in ballet, including a close look at the principal role that George Balanchine choreographed for him in the ballet Stravinsky Violin Concerto. Born in Bourg-en-Bresse, France, Bonfou joined the Paris Opera Ballet as a full company member at the age of 14. At age 21, he was promoted to that company's highest rank, danseur étoile, star dancer. While at Paris Opera, Bonfou was a guest artist with both St. Petersburg's Kirov, now Mariinsky Ballet, and Moscow's Bolshoi Ballet. In 1961, Jean-Pierre played a crucial role in ballet history by making the decisive phone call from Le Bourget Airport in Paris that facilitated Rudolf Nureyev's defection to the West. You'll hear Jean-Pierre recount this in his own words during this episode. After Paris Opera, Bonfou went on to a 10-year career as a principal dancer with New York City Ballet, originating roles in works by George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins. Lincoln Kirstein had this to say about Bonfou. A suave and beautiful performer, he has an instinct for traditional but ever-living elegance, which shines in his personal manner and the historic style he transmits. Since retiring from the stage in 1980, Bonfou has held influential posts as a teacher, choreographer, and director at the School of American Ballet, Indiana University, New York's Chautauqua Institution, and for 20 years, he served as artistic director of Charlotte Ballet, where he was my director and teacher when I was a boy. He continues his passion for teaching to this day through his work at Northeast School of Ballet in Reading, Massachusetts, and through his own coaching and mentorship platform called The Art of Ballet. Jean-Pierre is a fount of knowledge about ballet, and he has lived on the front lines of this art form's history for nearly his entire life. I know you will learn from and be inspired by his story. As I said before, a major theme of my conversation with Jean-Pierre was George Balanchine's ballet, Stravinsky Violin Concerto, in which Bonfou was one of the original principal dancers. Before diving into the conversation with Jean-Pierre, I'd like to share a little more about the background to this particular ballet. Balanchine choreographed this ballet as part of City Ballet's historic 1972 Stravinsky Festival. The event was a celebration and memorial tribute to Igor Stravinsky, who had died the year before. Over the course of the festival's one week, City Ballet presented 31 Stravinsky ballets by seven choreographers. 24 of these ballets were world premieres, including 10 new works by Balanchine. The festival was such a feat that critic Clive Barnes wrote, there has never been as creative an outburst as this in the history of ballet. Stravinsky Violin Concerto premiered on the festival's opening night. The ballet's score is Igor Stravinsky's Concerto in D for Violin and Orchestra, which Stravinsky had written in 1931 for the virtuoso violinist Samuel Dushkin. Stravinsky had some trepidation about writing a concerto for the violin, as Stravinsky himself was not a violinist, but a pianist. But his close collaboration with Dushkin throughout the composition process allayed that uneasiness. 
The combination of Dushkin's technical brilliance with Stravinsky's unbound exploration of the instrument's capabilities ultimately opened up new territory for the violin through this composition. One striking feature of the concerto is that each of its four movements starts with the same distinctive chord. Stravinsky called that chord the passport to the whole concerto. It's a magnificent piece of music, and if you listen to this podcast, you already know parts of it, as it's the music you hear at the start and close of every Hear the Dance episode. The 1972 Stravinsky Violin Concerto was actually not the first time Balanchine had choreographed to this music. Back in 1941, he had made an entirely different ballet to the same score for a company called the Original Ballet Russe. This 1941 work was called Balustrade. It starred the glamorous ballerina Tamara Tumanova and featured sleek set and costume designs by the surrealist artist Pavel Chelichev. For his 1972 Stravinsky Violin Concerto, Balanchine made a work that features a core of eight women, eight men, and four principal dancers. The original principals were Jean-Pierre, Karen van Arlingen, Peter Martins, and Kay Mezo. You can hear Kay Mezo's perspective on this work in episode five of season three of this podcast. Balanchine has the 20 dancers embody the ballet's score marvelously. The first movement, Toccata, introduces the full cast. The second and third movements, Aria, One, and Aria, Two, are close-ups on the two couples. The first is the pas de deux first danced by Jean-Pierre and Karin. The second, the pas de deux first danced by Peter and Kay. The final movement, Capriccio, is playfully boisterous and zooms back out to display the full cast. This is a ballet with layers of organization and invention. It also has this distinction. Balanchine once told the ballerina Patricia McBride that this was his favorite of his ballets. With that context, let's turn to my conversation with Jean-Pierre, which began with our briefly catching up with each other. Enjoy. Jean-Pierre Bonfou, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. It is a delight to get to visit with you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad to be here with you. Well, and you were my director and one of my teachers growing up as a little boy in North Carolina and have always been an amazing presence and encourager to me <laughs> through the whole journey as a dancer. So it is a, an a special privilege to get to talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you. What you have accomplished is just amazing. So I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. You've had the most extraordinary life in dance, and I'm so excited for the listeners to get to hear your story because Lincoln Kirstein once said about himself, he said, I always found that I was chronologically in luck. And I feel like the same could be said for you because you seem to always find yourself in the right place at the right time and got to work with and be shaped by the greatest ballet artists of the 20th century. You know, it's like sometimes you have to take a chance. So when I was at the opera and then I left the opera, uh, it was, uh, I was told that if I leave, I will never get a pension. And uh, so I have to leave maybe in one year and it's all story. But, and that now, but I wanted to go and work with Balanchine. I did not have the choice, you know, 
So sometimes you really don't have choices. Well, I wondered if we might be able to start at the very beginning, Jean-Pierre. And how did you start dancing? Because I have a twin sister and she wanted to dance. And my mother brought me to the school. And it was, you know, the, 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 the studios were at the Chatelet Theatre, where the, the ballet Russe started in Paris, you know. So that was pretty amazing. That's where, the, you know, Nijinsky started, you know, and, and all the all the wonderful dancers. So so I, t- I took some classes, and that teacher didn't really know what to do with a guy, you know, at that time. So she put my sister on point after a few weeks, and I she put me on point after a few weeks. So there's a photo. I don't know where, where it is. I have to find it. But so that was the beginning. So that was fun. That was a fun thing. And then after that, after that, I went to, to audition for the, the Paris Opera School and my sister also. And, uh, and I got in and my sister got in and, and you know, it was time to, to dance. <laughs> and the Paris Opera, the oldest ballet school and the oldest ballet company in the world, just an extraordinary history there. Could you describe what the training was like there at that time and who your formative teachers were? There was director Avelyn, but it was also, you know, he was a famous dancer at that time and, and all of that. And, and his partner was Zambelli, Carlotta Zambelli, also an extraordinary uh, dancer. But that, it, they came from, uh, or she came from, uh, from Italy then. And it was really the sort of checking methods, you know. It was not really a Russian, so all the, all the petit allegro and all of that were really brilliant. She was wonderful. And so she had a, a more important part on the, on the kids than, than Evelyn had. And so I remember that there was a little center for the kids when they was finished for them, their classes. It was, you know, we walked together uh, for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And she was in charge of the, the center. And she was maybe nine years old when I was so there. You know, and when you think about the, how the tradition goes on for from Zambelli, crazy and all of that, and and say, so it's extraordinary. It's really wonderful the idea that that's where we all come from. I think that uh, that it was all that all that training somehow was not really passed well with the with the teachers at that time. So I was with a teacher who. Um, who was not very kind to be nice about that. And, you know, it was one of those stupid things sometimes. Most of the students, most of the boys, it was a boys' class at least, which was good. But they were taking a private class with her. And I was not, I couldn't afford it, or I don't remember exactly what it was. And my mother reminded me sometimes, or did remind me sometimes, that I would cry every day after class. So it was not, you know, like uh, before she started, there was a few weeks, few, maybe a few months, with a, with a teacher, and I forget his, his name, but he was, he was just going to go uh, to a pension, you know, to take his pension. But before that, he gave us, the guys, a few, a few uh, advice. And he gave me one exercise that's not a Frankety one, but it's a, it's a wonderful exercise for the foot to point the foot. And I still remember it because it was so special. And I, I gave it not long ago 
when I coach sometimes, I, I give it, you know. And uh, so that one was really wonderful. But then give the contrast. You know, sometimes you love somebody, uh, you love a teacher because uh, the other one, you really don't like it. So it's the difference that's so important. So, and this uh, female teacher, uh, I've worked with her for three years, maybe. And so it was the same one. It was the same uh, the difficult atmosphere there. So for for a little guy of 10 years old, you know, 11 or 12 years old, it was not. And on the top of that, I was uh, doing some movies <laughs> as an actor. So I think maybe she wasn't happy that I would miss some class. Maybe I did, I don't know. And, uh, you know, the summer there was no classes, so I did that movie, which was really interesting. I loved the idea to be an actor. That was really what I wanted to do. And so the beginning was not... It was not something where I learned the most. You see, it's my friends, the dancers around me, who taught me really a lot. It was a dancer, a sensational dancer uh, called Jean-Jacques Béchard. And he was sensational. He was a natural mover. And so that man was important to me because we were good friends. And maybe he was three, four years older than me. Maybe I was in the corps de ballet. I entered in the corps de ballet at 14 years old. I remember going to the to see the director with another guy also, another middle dancer, uh, and I knew I was really short, and he was much taller than me. We were up together. I remember going an half point to make sure that because I knew there was something, and eventually announced that we had the honor to be, etc., in the Paris Opera Company, and um, that was something exciting to be part of. But you know, those uh, that Jean-Jacques Béchard, for example, he knew things that I wanted to learn later on. He, had to, he was already meditating, and I love the idea of meditating. He could focus on one thing, like an apple or something like that, that he, that he, 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 he really loved it to, to see that, loved nature and all of that. He was a sensational dancer, but he... He could not really fit in the Paris Opera, and he went to dance with Roland Petit later on. And it was another one also was a great dancer, Jean Babillet. And I didn't really see him dance just when he was really old, but but uh, he was also sensational. But he didn't fit with the Paris Opera because unfortunately, you know, you had to be in the opera because that was the best company in the world, you know, and whatever. <laughs> And so, so everybody wanted to do that, but that was just not enough already for me at, at my age when I was young. So, for example, we can talk about Lifar a little bit. Uh, the, the year that Lifar left the Paris Opera, it was the year that I had encore the ballet in 58. And so I worked with him a little bit. And... And I don't know, I, I think I knew already that was not what I liked. Other people did like him a lot. You know, he was very famous. He did great. He, he was charismatic. He, he did great lectures. And uh, he did also the afternoon of a phone. Uh, you know, he danced it when he was really old. It was all about him. There was great enthusiasm, you know, but not uh, no, no structure. And I knew from the beginning that was not really the best way. There was also 
great choreographer at that time also was there um, at the opera. I just remember one work that, that he did, Yassin. Um, Yassin was there also for Symphony Fantastique. And uh, I just remember that's, that's how I learned about Port de Bras and all of that because of him. And uh, so there was other people, but the main person that everybody was looking at did not impress me. I didn't, I didn't like the sort of uh, non-discipline and just let's move, you know? And so when I, for sure, when I started to work with Balanchine, it was such a relief to, to, to know that things could be structured, which, you know, we all like discipline, I think, as dancers, you know? And so that's what I wanted to, to see with him. So that was my beginning at the opera. And Jean-Pierre, at that time, wasn't the Paris Opera Ballet School in the Palais Garnier with the company? Like the classes went on in the opera house? Yes, no window, no nothing. Uh, academic work was there too. Everything was there. Yeah. And there was a wonderful phrase, didn't they call the children les petits rats? The little That's rats, right. like the little rats scurrying yes, around the opera house. And we did not have any nutcracker at that time anyway. We never did not crack your advice, but yes, it, it's a fun thing, all of that. That's a fun part. I remember the joy of dancing early in beautiful uh, Ramo uh, uh, opera and all of that costumes and all of that. I mean, it was, it was extraordinary. Those big productions were really, there was that sense of magic and the big contrast between the magic of that and the, the, the discipline that in a way did not make sense because some of the teachers really, it was not inspiring. And the, the, like I say, Jean-Jacques Béchard was inspiring, you know. What were some of the first ballets that you danced as a member of the Paris Opera? So I was pretty small at 14, you know. There was, uh, you know, uh, Prince Igor, the opera inside the well, uh, the, that famous dance and all that, and the warriors and all that. And they all wore um, heavy makeup and I had to replace somebody. And so, unfortunately, uh, they told me, oh, you had between this one and this one at one moment. Unfortunately, the makeup was so heavy and there's so much fun with the makeup that I couldn't find my place. So there was a, a, a manager circle at one point. It's everybody will go, there's this something, everybody opens for that circle, and I was in the middle looking for it. And that's, you don't forget this type of thing, you know. It was not what I, what I expected, but it's, um, yeah. So that was the first one. Did you have any exposure to Balanchine's ballets at that time? Yes, Four Temperaments, the third movement. And it was beautiful to do, I mean, it was great. And uh, yes, that was my first experience. And so that was really wonderful. I mean, there was a festival also that I went to see, I remember, and it was Concerto Barocco. And that was um, so magic. You know, the organization, the contact with the music was something I'd, I'd not seen. Thank you. 
did a ballet master from the Paris Opera teach you four temperaments? It was somebody from Balanchine. I can't remember what was her name. You know, it's just something else when, when he used to come. I remember uh, when I danced later on, when I had to learn Apollo because Jacques was sick and, and uh, that's much later. But uh, I have some, some, some good memories about that because John Taras showed me the, the, the Apollo, you know, the solos and the whole thing. And then I did it in Berlin. And uh, so that was, that's when I really met Balanchine for four days. I worked with him for four days. It's three magic, another magic uh, work. But the, the way he would move his hips, for example, that I'd not seen that much before, you know. And that freedom, I mean, was sensational. And uh, those four days really changed my life because I really needed to, to work with him. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, go on with uh, with the same, you know. It's good, you know. You want to go forward, and you know, when you have the possibility, it's really sensational. Jean-Pierre, you did spend time with the Kirov, now Mariinsky Ballet, and the Bolshoi. Was that during the time that you were at Paris Opera? Yeah, I think I was twenty-one, twenty-two. I was just a principal dancer, and I think there was an exchange, and they they wanted me to to dance with a partner for Swan Lake and Giselle, which was very exciting because the, the dancers there also were really, uh, there were some sensational dancers, Salaviev and others, Vasiliev. And Vasiliev was the one who showed me Giselle and uh, their versions. That was really special because, because they were Pushkin also. There was that sensational uh, teacher who was so kind. You know that uh, our gentle uh, Mr. Balanchine was, Pushkin was like that also. And uh, I, think, I, I think that's when you realize also you don't need to make lots of noise, you know. And so that was sensational to go to, to Russia. I went a few times, I went with the company also, New York City but it's something that I will uh, cherish for what I've left, yes. There's a wonderful biography of Pushkin by Gennady Albert. And he, there's this description of Pushkin's class. It said, the first thing that everyone who ever studied in Pushkin's class remembers is the constant feeling of joy. Executing his combinations was an actual pleasure. It was all so organic, so extraordinarily gracefully put together that it was a pleasure to be dancing. And I mean dancing, not simply working on mastering. That's right. There's something logical about these steps that I've never seen. Somehow you knew that if your body falls this side, you're not going to have to fight to go someplace else. That logic also, how, how easy it was to dance suddenly. And also because of the so many jumps were, were, were done that at the end of the few months, and you, I know that the, uh, the higher jump that, that before, you know, there was that sense of progress because your body wants to do it. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, you feel at ease. There was no judgment. If you would follow the, follow the music and follow its steps, you would be just fine. So uh, you move, so the space was something uh, friendly. <laughs> As Jean-Pierre says here, Alexander Pushkin was a brilliant teacher. Two of his most famous pupils were Mikhail Baryshnikov and Rudolf Nureyev, both known for their dazzling elevation. 
With that in mind, let's listen in to part of the jumping portion of Pushkin's class. Did you get to take class with Messerer in Bol- at the Bolshevik? Yes, yes, yes. Messerer taught Kramarevsky, and then Kramarevsky taught all of us at SAB, so we've got that yes. lineage. Oh, yes, another uh, cherished teacher, Kramarevsky also, yeah. Later on, you played a very important role in Rudolf Nureyev's life. Could you share with us a little bit about that? It's going to take a few minutes. <laughs> I would love to hear this story. It's something that happened, and uh, there was, you know, a few books wrote about Nureyev defection, and they interviewed me, and I was not very happy with the result. And then when I knew that we would talk together, I said, you know, I'm getting really old, and so maybe it's my only chance to, <laughs> to say what. But I remember, and you know, it was a long time ago, 61, I think, 61. So I'm sure there's some things that, I, that I'm missing. But, you know, when he was, uh, he, he was not a good boy, like they would say, you know. <laughs> and he was, he was supposed to go uh, at the, back at the hotel at whatever after the show, and he wouldn't do that. So they told him, if you don't do that, we, we bring you back. But eventually at the airport, I was there with a few friends, not many. We heard from one of the dancers, also a friend of Rudy somehow, and he heard that uh, he was going to be, he's going, he was going to be, uh, to go back to Russia, which meant Siberia, the famous Siberia name. You know? And so he said that if that happens, he will kill himself, really. And he was not being dramatic. It was really what, so his life would be finished, basically, you know. And so that friend, uh, he, gave, he gave to that friend the address and the phone number, the phone number, sorry, of, uh, of a friend of Rudy. And that friend uh, was supposed to know uh, some people in the police, so through her parents, uh, her father, and all of that. Uh, that friend came back to the few of us and uh, that friend said, you know, I can't go to, to, to call that person. And, you know, we didn't really know why, but what, what was building in, uh, in the airport, that open space between international and national, you know, was that all the KGB and they were like, I don't know, it seems they were at least 50. You know, the Gabardin, the whole thing. It was very easy to see that it was them. And my friend uh, was really afraid that he was a choreographer and he had been dancer also. And he, I guess his the dream was to be uh, choreographing in, in Russia and restaging some old ballet that he, that he knew. And he said, you know, if I do that, they're never going to allow me to go in Russia. And then 
the other friends also. It, it, there was that atmosphere of fear, you know, that and Rudy, we could see him. You know, he was saying goodbye to the, the whole company, the whole Kirov. And so eventually nobody had the courage, or I don't know what it was, or, you know, it was, it was difficult. And so uh, eventually I took the paper because I didn't care, you know. Uh, I felt that he was a friend because I had worked with him, take classes uh, with him. And so I felt it was my duty, sort of, you know, to, uh, to call that person. So I called that person. In fact, he called twice, talked to her the second time. And she said, somebody in, um, in the police will come with something on his uh, arm, gabardine also something, and the pipe, and he's going to cross the whole space. That was that international space where people were not allowed. And he will, and he will uh, tell Woody that when you see him and, you know, describe him, then you have to say you, you need protection. And uh, that is was defecting. And so that man came slowly. We knew exactly what was going to happen, but nobody else knew that just a few, few of us really jumped over whatever it was to jump over, looked absolutely pale and, uh, and asked for protection. You know, I must have been afraid that the, the, the policeman wouldn't even understand what he was saying. And then suddenly there were all those, you know, the, the gabardine with the, the, the Russian, the KGB, the sort of beige, all that. The French police was those black cape. And suddenly from everywhere came all those police. And the KGB started to take Rudy. And the French police started to take Rudy, and they were pulling, yeah, and it was, and that's really that scene that I still remember of Rudy being so, he was like already dead, you know, he was, he, he had no energy, he couldn't do anything, he absolutely couldn't do anything, and he knew that if we go one way, he will be coming back, you know, and the other way he will be helped and his life will change, you know. And that moment has been something, uh, it, those things that you don't forget, you know, sometimes. And uh, so that's what happened. And then eventually the policeman uh, took over and pulled him out. And, uh, and, and then he, he went, I don't know exactly where he went first, but anyway, that's what happened. And next time I saw him was dancing. But you were so instrumental in that in that journey for him. And I, I can't imagine like him being pulled by the one arm by the KGB and pulled by the other. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. The I mean, that moment. Yes. And I don't really know what would have happened uh, if, uh, if I would not have called. So, yeah, it's really strange sometimes where you find yourself uh, to be. Again, going along with this theme of your life, always being in these historic places at these historic moments. How did you come to, to work for Balanchine? <laughs> That's a fun story in a way. By that time I was at the opera, principal dancer, and I was a guest. It was not very often, I think. The guest was a little bit more dangerous because you didn't know how long it would last or whatever. I was asked to come to see the administrator and there was an evening we were supposed to dance 
And the administrator told me there was no prize. The soprano cannot sing. And so we have to put a ballet on. I said, but you know, I can't because I'm dancing. And so, so you can't go. And I have that memory of somebody who couldn't care less. I don't know if, if it was just after lunch or what, but it was really a strange feeling that I had, I had to try to impress him. And I said, I said, you know, if you do that, I, I leave. And uh, then we said, <laughs> said, then where are you going? <laughs> I had worked with Balanch in, in a few weeks before something. So I still in America. <laughs> And uh, you're like, I'll just, so, I'll leave. I'll go to America. Yes, you know, it's nice to be young. And <laughs> and so I left the office, and I went downstairs. And my girlfriend was there. I told her the story, and I said, I said, I go to America. I was completely confused. I wonder what what do I do now? And she said, But you just work with Balanchine. Oh, okay, that's right. So I call him. And they called Mr. Ben, he answered right away. And then he said, you know, a guest is not very good for my company, for the moral of the dancers and all of that. I don't think it's uh, because I, I said, you know, can I be a guest for a few months or something like that? And, and I say, oh, I understand, you know. And <laughs> so I angled uh, the phone. Eventually, I don't really like the idea of pushing myself. I've never been, you know, it could, but suddenly <laughs> I found myself calling back a second time, <laughs> which was really strange. And then I told him, I told him, but Mr. B, what about if I stay for two seasons, really, you know, for one year? And, he, you know, I just worked together in, the, in, the, in, in Berlin. And so uh, then he said, yeah, if it's a one year, that, that, that's okay. So, <laughs> so I said, when do you want me to come in? I can't, the company was on strike, I think. So she, he said, oh, maybe not right now. Uh, you know, maybe in a few months. So we'll see when the, the strike will be finished and all of that. It was so exciting, the idea of being working with that man again, that uh, I, I left like a few weeks later. <laughs> had no money. <laughs> I was just in New York. And I remember uh, the first day that I arrived at the Lincoln Center, and I, I met somebody who came on the other side. It was Patricia McBride. And she asked me, she said, but what are you doing there? Because we had seen each other uh, before, but it was not working because it's too far in New York, Paris, and all that. So, uh, so I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. <laughs> Like surprise! <laughs> now we work together. <laughs> I'm working with your company, not Bally Theater. No, <laughs> same company than you. Yeah, so that's what happened. Do you remember your first day as a member of New York City Ballet? This great etoile from the Paris Opera walks into company class the first day. No, not really. I think one of the first ballet that I danced was Swan Lake Act Two. Which was I didn't really go there to dance well, like, you know, somehow. But uh, I don't remember where else uh, I did. But you know, it was just a complete a different energy, you know, and it was uh, a complete uh, difference with a pianist, for example, what they would play, uh, and there was something that was uplifting, very uplifting to be there.
And, you know, it, it, again, Amazon had the choice, you know, because, um, yeah, one year later, I would have had a pension at Paris Alpha, but I didn't have it, but I was happy there. You know, it was a wonderful life. Did you feel like the dancers in the New York City ballet community welcomed you in? Yes, it was, a, it was pretty amazing also. I don't know if it would have been the same in other theaters, uh, other companies. Yeah, a different, uh, different energy in the air and uh, also a different energy for me to be more grounded, you know, as, a, as a, after dancing Swan Lake and Giselle and some other ballets that I was not also that excited about. That's why I wanted to be a guest, you know. And so it just felt right, you know, those steps. It was those that going a little bit before uh, the music, so you are right there on the music, you know, and uh, yeah, th this, that was really, really what I was looking for. I didn't really know that I was looking for that, but it happened. I was not that uh, big about New York somehow after Paris, you know, somehow. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, uh, and eventually, you know, it's uh, such a wonderful city. But somehow, after Paris, and also, you know, it's um, in Paris. If you have the danseur étoile, like they say, star dancer, you know. So, and it's really one of the most important positions you could have in the arts in Paris. Anyway, it's not something that was important to me eventually was really not important, you know. It was what, what my body felt dancing. That was... That you was. wanted to keep growing and you wanted to keep learning. Yes, yes and learning, right, and all of that. Yes, you... Lots of satisfaction, lots of going forward, yeah. What did you think of Balanchine's classes and how did his teaching and choreography compare with what you had danced up to that point? You know, I mean, his class uh, at the beginning felt really fast, you can imagine, from the Paris Opera and all of that. But the result also was really good. There was no uh, judging, I think, on, on my part also. I don't think it was, uh, it was just I felt lucky to be there, you know. The dance writer Joseph H. Mezzo wrote this great book in 1974 called Dance is a Contact Sport. And you're kind of one of the main characters in the book. And it says, most of the company's dancers were made in America, born here, raised here, trained here. The American pace and American training has prepared them, at least to some extent, for the Balanchine style. The foreigners have adjustments to make. It says their classes had another emphasis, their cities, different architecture, the traffic in their childhood streets traveled in other rhythms. And it talks about you. And it says, in oh, class, in class... You notice that Jean-Pierre wears different, softer shoes than the native dancers. He also concentrates more than they do on placement. He thinks less of speed and more of steps. The men who show the purest classroom technique in the company are the three who were trained in Europe. Jean-Pierre Bonfou, Helgi Thomason, and Peter Martins. Yeah, 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 no, that's nice. I remember that. But you know, really what, uh, what taught me about that spirit or that spirit it was Patricia McBride because I, I remember when one day you know she asked me after a show she said so did you did you enjoy it she said and I said what do you mean it's it's my duty 
<laughs> I was still in a Paris opera mode, you know, that you do well because that's you. You have a decoration. You wear your decoration every day, you know. <laughs> your medals, you know. And so, yeah, I love the way uh, she danced. And, uh, and uh, I couldn't, you know, go there. I mean, it was really hard for me to do that in a way. It would have been hard without an example like that. You know, and the joy that she, she had dancing was really sensational, you know. And so I don't think that, I don't think that we could really in, in, uh, in Paris have somebody coming to watch the rehearsals. I mean, New York also, there's not that many people, but, but in Paris, so somebody asked me one day, oh, can I watch your rehearsal? It was somebody from outside of Paris, you know, for a choreographer and that I had, I said, watch my rehearsal. Many of us was sort of wondering what do I do now? I have to behave differently or something like that. Yeah, it was more open. No, you were more into yourself and you did not have to to prove something. It was it was a complete change for me. Complete change. How long do you think it took to adapt to Balanchine's style for you? I don't know. I mean, I was lucky also, like like uh, I don't know when it was, maybe it was 1970. And uh, Valen Concerto was at 72, maybe, or something like that. And so, certainly, I was given the chance to be dancing on Stravinsky music <laughs> with Palanchine. It was pretty, pretty amazing. And so, I don't know, it felt, it felt so logical, so grounded, yes, that music. You could feel that when you hear it the first time, you don't really know, you feel it's complicated, you feel it is not logic or something like that. And then certainly you see Mr. B in a jazzy way uh, moving uh, on that music and you just try to do the same and it feels good, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's what's sensational. It's like you feel that it's part of who you are in a way, in a strange way coming from France, you know? in a strange way but that was a part of me who couldn't wait to be there you know did it feel like a great seal of approval from balanchine when he cast you in violin concerto yeah very lucky yeah very i mean that was a chance in a lifetime you know they show it a lot on the on instagram somehow and just to look at it with Karen, it was really, uh, really quite special, quite, quite uh, how do you anticipate the next movement? Because you can't wait, there's urgency to go to that second movement. It's not like you finish your step, I did it, and then you go to something else, you know. It's just, it's, there was a, such a logic that I had never seen before, really. And Mr. B made Violin Concerto for you and Karen and Kay and Peter Martins in the context of the Stravinsky Festival, which was an extraordinary creative undertaking for the company. And you had Orpheus that we, everybody had so many ballads. What was the atmosphere backstage in, prepar in preparing that festival? It just felt that I could handle it and that my brain will be working even better or much better i mean uh, because there will be all of those things that will happen to me and and you know it's i always felt that when when you you uh, dance 
uh, when you rehearse uh, ballet uh, that you have not done for a long time, Balanchine Ballet, for example, if you put the music on, you remember the steps. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that feels, you feel it, you know. If it's another car bathroom, most of the time, not all the time, yes, for sure. But then you don't remember where the steps, what step, step it was. No, it was what was the link. You have to find the link between the music and the step and you have it. That was also a really special one, really special. Somehow I feel that it, I don't know if people realize how exceptional it was, that Orpheus. I've not been in New York for that long or in New York State Ballet for that long. And so, so yes, it's uh, it's something that maybe won't happen again because whatever Balanchine felt he could do, everybody said, "Yeah, Mister Vincent can do it." Okay, you know, it was uh, there was that that calm with him. What do you think made Orpheus so special? Because that's a ballet that we have never really touched on on this podcast. You know, there's some parts that eventually became, uh, it sounds that became Cage or something also. I mean, the music is sensational. It's really the relationship also, the, the, the sets, the, the instruments that you hold and, and you feel that it's uh, it's much more than yourself. It's like when you do Apollo, you know, you go above yourself. Here ends part one. My conversation with Jean-Pierre continues in part two, which is available now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me again to hear the dance.